Welcome to the life of Christ. This is term three. And uh, uh, we are up to lesson 21. Uh, it's the first lesson in term three, but the overall lesson is 21. We are going to um, back up a little bit to page 13, because that's where this section actually begins. So if you want to turn there, uh, we're going to look at now... Just to give you a quick rundown, we've seen in the beginning was the Word. Amen. And we know that Jesus Christ was there in the beginning. He was with God. He was God. Amen. Then we saw Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We understand now that from what we've seen, and again you can have your opinion on this, but from what we have seen, we saw that God created a, a spiritual realm, heaven and earth. Amen. And then he populated that earth with angels. There was a rebellion. And there was the angels fell. God cast them into hell. Alright, which is why Jesus says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. And that was way back then. And then God begins creating the natural realm. And what we saw was Genesis. We looked at the amazing creations of Jesus Christ. And we realized it is His creations. The whole point of going through Genesis was so we understand that it is Jesus, the person that lives on the inside of you, created all those things. Amen? And um, the wonder of His creation. We then progressed on into Genesis chapter 3. And a very sad chapter, the fall of man. Um, and again, all the interaction that Adam and Eve had was with Jesus Christ. And this is really what we're beginning to see now. That's why in studying the life of Christ, we need to know that He is Creator, that He created. That's why Colossians says that things seen and unseen, they were all created by Him. So the unseen things of the whole spirit realm that came into manifestation, came into being. Amen? It was His creation. And we need to understand all of this because one of the problems that we have is people say, Oh, well, you know, you can pick your religion and I'll pick what I want to believe. And, you know, we want to believe in so-and-so and you believe in Jesus. And they just lump it all together. But we need to understand that Jesus created everything. He was the Creator. He is God. Amen? And uh, we don't want to take away from the Father, but we, our focus is on Jesus right now. And we need to understand that He is the one that has been interacting with mankind ever since the beginning of time. All of the creations and all of the prophets and all of the people that others worship were His creation. Do you understand? Amen? And so this, they're all going to be standing at Judgment Day. I think that's going to shock some of the people that followed them. You know, they're going to say, what's so-and-so doing there that I was worshipping yesterday? Him. And he's being judged today. That's not going to be a good day for them. <laughs> okay? So, yeah, so that's the reason why I want... That's why we're going through this. So you begin to understand what's actually happening here and how we need to view Jesus Christ. And now what we're going to do is we're going to start seeing Him interacting with people in the Old Testament. And very specifically, <clears throat> we're going to begin in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, because here is a scripture that actually talks about His pre-existence. And it says here, But you, Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. And here's the key phrase, Whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. 
Do you understand? That is from forever in the past. Okay? Now, <clears throat> there are several things that we looked at, and I'm just going to go back over this and then just catch up and move forward. Several things that are brought out here. First, the commentators of the Ryrie Study Bible explain that the word Ephrata is the ancient name for Bethlehem, and also apparently the name of the district. Both names indicate the fertility of the area, Bethlehem meaning house of bread, Ephrata meaning fruitful. Now, I'm just giving you some little extras there, okay? You don't need to know all that, but it's there. Of greater significance, however, is the phrase goings forth, which the Ryrie uh, commentators say actually refers primarily to Christ's pre-incarnate appearances. Now, you're going to start noticing that word coming up more and more, all right? We know of his incarnation. This is his pre-incarnate appearance. Are you all with me? Do I need to explain that? No, we're all good? Okay, so, so we know that incarnate is when he came in the Gospels. Pre-incarnate was before he came in the Gospels. Alright, before he was born to Joseph and Mary. Okay, this is before he took on that fleshly body. Before he would be known as the Son of Man. Right now he is still Son of God. And all of the divine attributes that go with that. He can take on any form that he wants. Oh, I would love to just explore that a little bit, but let's not go there right now. Okay, so it refers primarily to Christ's pre-incarnate appearances, thus affirming the existence of Christ before his birth in Bethlehem. And can I also uh, add to that, before the birth of every other religious leader that came along. Amen? Are you with me? So he was there before them all. Alright? Okay. And there's the scripture to back it up. Also the phrase from everlasting indicates the eternal existence of Messiah. Especially in light of what Habakkuk 1.12 says, and that is, uh, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? Alright? So this takes us back to again John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14, which I'm sure if you come to this church, you know these verses by heart by now. Okay? Because they are very key in what we believe. Where it says again, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice, in the beginning, that is from everlasting. See, I love the way the Apostle John says, in the beginning, because they can't say how long ago that was. Okay? Wherever the beginning was, there he was. Okay? And that takes us as far back. And he says here was the Word, and the Word uh, was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14, again we know it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, the only begotten of the Father, the only begotten of the Father. Father didn't have lots of kids. Do you understand? Alright. The only had to go to the cross. The only was the only person qualified to go to the cross. The only son was the one that would be able to die for us. Amen? Okay. Alright. Okay. Now, of all Christ's pre-incarnate appearance... <laughs> pre-incarnate appearances in the Old Testament. Following Genesis chapter 3, the most controversial of all was the angel of the Lord. The reason being that there are times in the scriptures that this title may refer 
or excuse me, may better suit either the archangel Michael or Gabriel rather than the Lord himself. I'll explain all this to you in just a minute. All right. With this in mind, we will therefore confine our study to only those times when there is no question that the angel of the Lord is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ and none other, especially when the translators themselves use a capital A in angel to indicate it. Okay, so let me just unpack that for you a little bit. As I was doing a study in this, my original notes had a lot more here than what we, what we have today. And what I was doing was, because some uh, ministers, preachers, commentators are of the opinion that any uh, reference to the phrase, term, angel of the Lord, is referring to Jesus Christ. But in my studies, I found that not every single one is Jesus. Okay, And there are some things that you could really question whether the angel of the Lord was literally the angel of the Lord, or whether it was the Lord in angelic form. Okay, and so, and when I say angelic form, I mean in a supernatural form, okay, in a, a form of a messenger. Um, and so, the, I, I looked at that, I studied it for quite a while, and I thought, you know what, I don't want to give you information that could not be correct, that might not be exactly right. And then you have an argument with somebody. So what I'm going to do <laughs> is give you the greatest gift, and that is how to get out of an argument. Okay, I'm, going to, I'm only going to deal with the places where we are absolutely sure that it is Jesus Christ. Now if somebody says, oh, you know, Jesus is here and there and everywhere else, because, you know, it says the angel, just say, look, I'm sure, you know, of that, I'm sure of those references, but we're not sure, I'm not convinced totally that all of those references are to Jesus. And you will find that certain people will argue that those were talking about Gabriel or Michael or, you know, an archangel. Alright, not Jesus himself. Do you understand? So we really don't want to go there. So if you make a reference to something, I want you to know as a fact that was Jesus. Are you all with me? Okay? Alright. So, <laughs> that being said, let's continue into Genesis chapter 4. So we've finished with Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. And here now in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, it says, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Alright? Now, this indicates that there was a regular time and place at which men were allowed to meet God, specifically the Lord. Okay? Possibly, this is a question mark, at the door of the entrance to the Garden of Eden, where the cherubim guarded the way to the Tree of Life. That was one of the suggestions. It was a nice suggestion, I thought I'd put it in there. May not be. Okay? Again, when I, when I'm not sure, I'll let you know. Alright? But what is important here, notice it says, in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now, I will talk about this because there's a lot of controversy about what is going on here. Verse 4. Abel also, we're on the next page, brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, literally the fattest of the firstlings of his flock. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Stop, look up for a minute. People that go through these three verses, 
Their first thing is, oh, you see, the reason that the Lord didn't accept Cain's offering was because it was fruit. And the reason that they accepted Abel's offering and they li- he liked it is because it was a, a lamb. It was a sacrificial lamb that he offered, okay? And that, that's what Cain should have done, but Cain didn't do that. He just bought fruit and threw it on there and said, here it is, and God was mad with him. All right, now, Cain was a farmer. Abel was herding animals, okay? Sheep, let's say. All right? And so what they do is they draw this thing and say, see, because... Alright, Jesus Christ is the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. That's the reason why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. Okay? Now, I'm going to be preaching on these verses in Bible college for a little while. Alright, not these verses, especially about this next section. I can't just teach it to you. There's too much stuff here. Alright? And you're here... You're paying money, I want to give you the best. Okay? So, I'm warning you now that we're slowing down a little bit. I've got through all the parts I want to get through quickly. This is not something I want to get through quickly now. Let's talk about this. If you go down that road and that path of saying, Oh, well, it, you know, it's only a blood sacrifice that God was going to uh, accept and not you know, this grain offering. You know, in the Hebrew, they actually have a grain offering. I am not saying that it is not without significance, the blood sacrifice side of things. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying the way these verses are interpreted is wrong. Okay? I am saying that if you are a farmer and you bring the best of your crop to God, He's not going to spit on it and walk off and go, that's not a blood offering, I don't want it. Do you hear what I'm saying? And you go, well, that's what I grew, man. And that would be wrong. Okay? That's just like your, one of your children brings something they made, you know, and then another one brings something that they did. They're very different, and you saying, oh, it's not what that one did. I don't want this. I want that. That's a naughty parent. If you bring the best that you have, okay, then you know what? It's the heart that gives that is blessed. Do you understand? Now, let me solidify all of this. Let's go read some commentaries, good ones. There are some good ones. Okay. Let's begin and then I'll start commenting on this as we go. Alan P. Ross is outstanding. In his commentary points out, watch, watch this now. First of all, and this is something that the people that preach this won't point, point this out to you. Okay, so I'm pointing this out to you first of all, that both offerings are the same Hebrew word. Which he says in the Levitical code means an acceptable offering. Therefore, listen, there was nothing wrong with the offering itself. So that just cuts the knees and legs off all the people that go on and say, Cain should have brought you know, a, a, a blood offering. And that God wasn't happy. No, he wasn't. That is so wrong. God was happy. Okay, but let's see where he wasn't happy. In fact, Ross goes on to say that in each case, watch this now, the person is mentioned before the offering, which suggests that the kind of offering is not as important to the story as the attitude of the person making the offering. Did you get that? So here again we see that Cain is not right. 
Alright, so that notice, again, we miss these things. So it was Abel and his offering, and Cain and his offering. Okay? It's Leo and his offering, and Jamie and his offering. I'm looking at Leo and Jamie. You know, I really don't care about the offering that much. Honestly, I don't. Like God needs this stuff. I'm looking at you and what you brought, and you and what you brought. Most of them looking at you. Okay, because depending on you, then what you brought will matter. If you if you got stinking attitude, what you brought doesn't matter. If you have a beautiful attitude and you come with a big smile, I don't care if it's a wooden pedal pop stick. Yeah. He'll be the greatest wooden pedal pop stick ever. That's right. <laughs> and I'll lamentate it and hang it on my wall. <laughs> okay? And he could come with a stinking attitude and give me a million dollars and he'd be like, oh, you know, keep the money. But you know, <laughs> just saying, I'm not stupid, all right? But, but you know what? I won't be happy. Do you hear what I'm saying? All right, okay. All right. Back to this before I get into trouble. The, f- the full life, too late. The full life study Bible adds. <laughs> Cain's offering was rejected because he lacked a a sincerely obedient faith. Let me repeat that. Cain's offering was rejected because he lacked a sincerely obedient faith and because his deeds were evil. Alright, we're going to see in verses 6 and 7. It's coming up next. God's, God takes pleasure in our offerings and thanksgivings only when we are striving to live a righteous life according to His will. Not according to man's laws. Sometimes we think righteousness is, we should do this and that. That's self-righteousness. All right, I'm not talking about self-righteousness and you being prim and proper and you know, all looking good to everyone. Okay, who knows what's on the inside of you? Jesus said you look like beautiful, you know, what is it, stones on the outside and you're full of dead men's bones on the inside. Uh, we don't want those pearly things. Okay, we, the inside is what matters. Amen? All right. <clears throat> now, since this is about the life of Christ, what's of great, greatest importance in these verses is the fact that it is the Lord. And therefore the pre-incarnate Christ that Cain and Abel were bringing their offering to. Now let's stop, let's absorb that for a minute. So this is who Cain and Abel are bringing their offering to. It's Jesus Christ. This is the same Jesus Christ that the Pharisees are going to say, Who are you? You're only this, this, this many years old. What are you on about? When he says, Before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> okay? He could have said, Before Cain and Abel was, I am. Are you getting this? Uh, this is just taking us way, way, way back. Alright? Alright, so. <clears throat> now additionally, in order for Cain to know that the Lord didn't respect his offering, must mean that he was able to see the expression on the Lord's face. How else would he know? Obviously, the Lord was standing there. Notice he said they brought it to the Lord. And, God, and the Lord said something. He's going to say something. You watch now, alright? <clears throat> Verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, obviously he's there. Okay? Meaning that Christ was actually there with Cain and spoke to him and said, Why are you angry? Obviously now the Lord can see Cain's face. So Cain can see the Lord's face. The Lord can see Cain's face. He's asking him a question. Why are you angry? 
You can't have this conversation unless both of you are looking at each other. Can we, can we, are we good with this or do we need a minute to process this? Yeah, are we good? Okay, alright. This, this conversation would not be happening unless the both of them are looking at each other. Obviously Jesus saw something in Cain's face. Hmm? Cain saw something in the Lord's face. Okay. And he says, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? Watch now, if you what? Do well. Will you not be accepted? Hmm? And if you do not do well, then it means that sin lies at the door. Alright, specifically the sin of rebellion and unrepentance. And it says, and its desire is for you, but watch this, he says, but you should rule over it. He's saying, don't let it get the better of you. I know something is going on in there, don't let it go any further. You know, this is a parent. Do you understand? This is God talking to us a lot of times too. He'll say to you, be careful where you're going, be careful what you're up to. Mm? Don't let that thing overtake your life. When we have this habit of thinking we're in control, sometimes we are, sometimes we're so not. <laughs> okay? Alright, in other words, the Lord is instructing Cain not to allow his sin to defeat him and get out of hand. A warning he should have heeded, because now it goes on to say, verse 8, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother. Now let me just stop, stop for a minute. I said this to you before, I think on Sunday I was preaching, and I said, be, care, you know, be careful what you're saying and how you're framing your life and the things that you do. Everything that you think, you say, and you do frames your life. All right? You are a whole being. And the way that you frame your life depends on, you know, sometimes people have critical eyes. They find fault in everything. They say, oh, you know, this person doing, doing that, this, that, 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 that. So you're framing your life like that. Other people, you know, they just don't see anything wrong with anything. All right? Now, I don't know if that's good either, because sometimes you kind of need to be aware of things. I think the best thing is to be somewhere in the middle. Understand what's going wrong. All right? Don't be... Um, unwise in what people are capable of doing, but be careful how you frame your life with what you say regarding all of that. Alright, so you can just because, you know, after a while, if, if people are always saying negative things, you start to get a negative kind of a feel off that person. You, you know what I'm saying? Okay, and what you need to do is, if there's a negativity there, then as you're approaching people, there won't be a smile on their face. They'll be going, oh, I wonder what they're going to complain about today or whatever. Or what bad thing are they going to say or whatever. You fill in the blanks, okay? And, but then you have somebody else that, you know, just always happy to see you and always talking positive things. That kind of brings a smile to your face, all right? Now, that's what's happening with Cain. Whatever he has been up to, whatever, this doesn't happen overnight, Whatever he's been doing, his life is being framed by it. All right? And it's come to the place now where even his offering is being tainted by his attitude. Are you all with me? Because, you know, things are written fairly quickly here, but that doesn't mean they happen so quickly. Okay, there is a process of time and things that take place in that time. All right? And what we're seeing a lot of times is end results. Alright? And so, because...
Cain was this way. Can I just say, if there was sin at his door, and if the Lord is looking at him and saying, there is something wrong in your life, and if you let it overtake you, it will overtake all of your life. You know, you can't just be grumpy in one area and not be grumpy in another. Listen to me now, okay? If you're having bad attitudes and... Um, just uh, a negative flow in your life, it will affect all of your life. No matter how much you try to hide it, it will affect all of it. And after a while, if you're angry with God, then you're going to be angry with people. And what we're going to see now, there, there is a question of whether or not, you know, um, Cain knew that Abel's offering was accepted and his wasn't, and he was mad with Abel, okay, and took his life because he was angry, because his wasn't and his was. Okay, Cain's wasn't, Abel's wasn't. Do you understand? I'm not sure, I don't know. That's, that's kind of a bit of... A bit of a question mark. What I want to say and what I want to point out through this is not the fact necessarily that Cain knew Abel's offering was accepted and he got angry. I'm, I'm, I'm presenting you the fact that maybe Cain had become just a very angry person. And everything made him mad. Have you know, do you know people like that? You, know, you can't do anything right. They're just mad at everything. Say the slightest thing and they fly off the handle. Remember Jesus said, sin lies at your door. It means there are things in his life that are making him go in a wrong direction, have wrong attitudes. Amen? Alright. I want you to keep all that in mind. Otherwise we'll miss this. And we'll say, oh yeah, because of this, that happened. No, it's a lifestyle. Okay? And we have to be careful that we're living a right lifestyle. Alright, so... <clears throat> so it says in verse 8 again, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass. So notice there's a process of time again. When they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now, nothing there tells us it was, was because of the offering. Do, do you all hear me? Notice the offering was given. There was a process of time. Okay, now maybe it was eating at him. Maybe he was mad that God didn't accept his offering. Maybe it was that. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was a whole combination of things. Just be aware that it may not have just been the one thing. Sometimes one thing is sets everything off. Okay, straw that broke the camel's back, you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, and it very well may have been that. And that may be the reason why they gave us that piece of information before they went on to tell us this. But I want to say to you, that it doesn't take one wrong thing in your life for you to go commit murder. Right. It takes a wrong life. Okay? For this to happen. Alright. And so again, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Alright? We're on the next page. This is the result of Cain's unrepentant sin getting out of control. With Alan P. Ross saying that the Hebrew word shows that it was premeditated. In short, Cain had no, uh, excuse me, that should be thought. So Cain had no thought of repentance, says the Spirit-filled Life Bible, only revenge. He had just gone to the place where he was just angry, he was mad, and he just wanted to kill something. And there happened to be Abel, alright? 
Furthermore, according to Henry M. Morris, what we are seeing here is the seed of the serpent striking at the seed of the woman, corrupting her first son, that is Cain, and slaying her second, that is Abel, all in an effort to stop the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 from coming to pass, which was when Jesus said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Alright, Satan never forgot those words. Alright, so watch what he does. He, he gets one brother turning against another brother. Murders a good one and has the other one now going to be banished. Alright, so this incident that resulted again in the loss of both their children at once. Alright, one through murder, the other through banishment must have been devastating to both Adam and Eve. Just think about it. Alright, especially with the knowledge that all this was as a result of their sin of disobedience. All right? We need to see this you know, in three dimensions. All right? We need to see that obviously Adam and Eve would have been regretting what they did. They lost their covering, they lost their glory, they lost paradise, they were kicked out, they weren't allowed to go back in, eat of the tree of life. All of these things happen. There's, a, there's angels guarding the place, there's a sword that is stopping them from coming in, and now one you know, child is killing off the other one. And they know all of this has come because of one stupid act. Hmm? I mean, I reckon they were just kicking themselves. Right? And this would be something they would carry with them for the rest of their life. Very sad, isn't it? Alright. <clears throat> and he goes and says, verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Now this time the Lord has gone out into the field to meet Cain. No, this is not the place where they give up offerings. Okay, keep track of these things, yeah? Alright, notice the Lord's gone to him and go, ah, where's your brother? Alright, and he, that's Cain, said, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? Literally a guardian protector, we are going to talk about this. Because we get that line when people don't want to be responsible. You're going to say, where is so-and-so? Am I my keeper's brother? Just go find him yourself. Hello. Let's look at this now, shall we? Alan P. Ross says that the answer to, to Cain's question should be yes. If a nation or family is to survive, the people must be responsible for the well-being of one another. Let's just answer that question right now. When he said the question, am I my keeper's brother? Yes. Can I tell you a different way that Jesus answered it? When somebody said, who is my neighbor? Hmm? And he says, let me tell you a story about a Samaritan. You see, we don't know the Samaritan story. We don't know it. We don't know the violent history that Samaria had with, with Judah. And just the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. So when we talk about the Samaritan, you know, it's become like a little cliche of, oh, the good Samaritan. No, 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 you don't understand. That was about two people that were enemies of each other. Hmm? And Jesus is going to say, let's talk about two people that are enemies and how they should treat each other. Forget about, am I my brother's keeper? Hmm? Let's go a step further and let's talk about, am I my enemy's keeper? Mm -hmm. So when we get to the Gospels, we're going to have lots of fun. Alright, back to this. <laughs> so... Alright, so, 
Sadly, as Henry Morris points out, instead of reacting in humility and fear of God, Cain boldly questioned God's right to ask such a question. See, his heart isn't right, huh? He's just rebellious and mad and just, you know, just doing dumb things. In fact, according to John MacArthur, Cain was violently hostile toward God whom he could not kill. Now listen, he makes a very good point here. And jealous of his brother, whom he could kill. You see, he can't kill God, so he's just mad. If he could, he'd kill God. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Alright, so he can't do that. So you just, you, you know, you just react the way you react. That's your weapon. You tell God off. If there's a God, you know, why is he letting all this stuff happen? And blah, 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 blah. That's, that's, that's you using your sword against God in the only way that you can. He's bigger than you and that's the only thing you can do. Alright? But uh, Abel, that's a different thing. That's somebody you can kill. Alright? That's why Jesus says, murder begins in the heart. Remember that? Alright, now the, all of this will start making sense to you. Sermon on the Mount, remember? Alright? If you have hatred toward your... Getting this. See the reference? Cain and Abel. Alright? Then you've already committed this sin. Alright? Because that's where it began with Cain. Against Abel. Alright? And so, as a result, the Lord could no longer deal graciously and mercifully with Cain. And so it says in verse 10, And he, the Lord, said, What have you done? I'm on the next page. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, this is a key statement that must be dealt with because it does involve the Lord and his, his blood sacrifice for all mankind. Alright? Henry M. Morris explains, Abel's blood crying from the ground is the prototype of all the suffering inflicted on the righteous through the ages by the children of the wicked one. Did you catch all of that? All right. Its climax and fulfillment are seen in the conflict of Satan and Christ on Calvary. Okay, now, in other words, we can trace all the suffering that good people have gone through, or I should say godly people, have gone through with this incident. Their blood cries out. Alright? And there was one blood that didn't cry out. While one cried out for vengeance, the other cried out for mercy. Alright? When Abel spilled his blood, he was looking for judgment. He was murdered. Alright? And somebody needed to do something about that. It's fair enough. That's why we have police in this land. Alright? We have a military. All those are from God. Okay? They're all good. Okay, unless you do the wrong thing, they're good. Alright? Okay. <laughs> so, they're there to protect us. Do you hear what I'm saying? Alright? And that, that comes from God. I mean, even God has... An, an archangel, Michael, who is a war angel, keeps peace in the galaxy, carries a very big gun. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay. All right. So that comes from God. But the thing is here, what's interesting and what, what is brought out here is this conflict has gone on and on and on against God's seed and Satan's seed. All right? Evil against good. And as much as the blood of the godly have cried out, 
There was one person that was godly. The final conflict between good and evil, so to speak, happened at the cross. Except the blood that was shed was to save everyone. When it was shed, it didn't cry out for vengeance. It didn't cry out for justice. It cried out for mercy. Hallelujah. Amen. That's God. Okay. All right. Morris continues, and we hopes. All right. Morris continues, this conflict had reached a tragic crescendo when those rebellious leaders from whom Christ had said were of your father the devil, that's in John 8.44 and Matthew 23.15, cried out for his crucifixion. I love this. Hissing, his blood be on us and on our children. Like Cain, they would see innocent blood shed rather than obey God's word. We're going to leave it there and pick up in the next session. Take a break.